to get the Crime Writers on After Show right now, go to patreon.com slash partners in crime media. I'm Rebecca Lavoie, and this is Crime Writers On. Crime Writers On is the original true crime review podcast that digs into true crime, pop culture, other podcasts. And on this episode, a journalist confronts her childhood of mysterious characters and sudden moves. Who was her family really hiding from? We'll review the CBC podcast, Run, Hide, Repeat. Joining me to get that done and more is true crime author, TV journalist, and host of the These Are Their Stories podcast, my husband and love of my life, Kevin Flynn. Hello, Kevin. Hello, Rebecca. Also with us is private investigator, certified pet detective, resident cat lady, and author of The Final Curtain, Laura Bricker. Hello, Laura. Hey, how's it going, Rebecca? It's going great. And finally, our captain of all things cynical, author of the City Trilogy of Novels, host of the Strange Arrivals podcast, and our Patreon Deep Dive Book Club podcast host, Toby Ball. Hello, Toby. Hello, Rebecca. Okay, so Kevin, this is Monday's fine program. Yes, it is. What is coming up on Thursday's fine program? I don't know. Oh. Well, that's a shame because we're recording no, it in like half an hour. Oh. <laughs> uh, we're going to be talking about season two of HBO's The Vow, oh. or also known as The Vow Part Two. Also known as episodes like what through what of The Vow, right? Ten through fifteen. Right, right, because they just sort of have it as a continuation of The Vow, the way that it's cataloged. Just, yeah, it'll go on forever. <laughs> All right. Well, Kevin, I just want to make one clarification. Yes. I did get a note from the folks at the LAist about the podcast we reviewed last week. Oh, what is that? Okay. In Perfect Paradise, the Sheriff. Apparently, at one point in the podcast, they did give everybody credit who made the podcast. And so, like, my gripe about it was oh. <laughs> made by a bunch of us. I just want to say, I guess at one point they did, and I just didn't listen to all the credits of every episode, and I should have. Yeah. So Not everybody's like our listeners where they go through all the credits just to hear right. the blooper. But the one credits I did listen to, they didn't. Oh, so. no, I heard him say, yeah, by a bunch of us. And <laughs> it's made by a bunch, which is cool because maybe all the podcasts should do that. No. No. I right. think in every podcast, people who worked on it should get credit. And I think that is just a practice in the podcast industry to not give producers who worked on things and reporters mm-hmm. the credit they deserve. So, um, you know, give people credit if they worked on your shit. There's no reason not to. I'll tell you one of the big things that happened last week is we got a lot of discussion about dental procedures. Oh, don't bring it up. Some people don't like that. Some people don't like Some people were amazed. They couldn't stop talking about it oh, on I Facebook. They either loved it or they hated it. It was very divisive. The whole, But the whole thing about being Novocaine resistant, it freaked people out. It did. Some people are freaked out by that. There was other people who were also Novocaine resistant. Yeah, so it is true. So, Kevin, our, our dental discussion was divisive in numerous ways, but I think it's time to put that one to bed. Uh, and we have like a really interesting podcast to talk about, so I'd like to get to it. What do you think? He caught me in the middle of a sip. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, How about we do it? Let's run. Let's run. Let's do it. I'm going to drop that first clip right now. Mom asked me to meet her at a gas station just outside of Sussex, New Brunswick. When I got there, she asked me to get into her car. And then she passed me a note telling me to be silent, take off my jewelry, and put it in an envelope. After a childhood of secrecy and sudden relocations, reporter Pauline Dakin's mother, finally revealed the reasons behind their family's chaotic upbringing. Unbeknownst to the children, they'd been living in hiding from their father, a powerful figure in organized crime. They were trying to get Stan, and they were trying to get to Stan through mom, and they were trying to get to mom through us. 
he was the target and she became the target because of him yeah. and then we became the targets because of her the Dakins had been protected for years by Stan, a family friend and federal agent posing as a preacher. Now an adult, Pauline is made aware of the ever-present dangers posed by the gangsters. But as the situation grew increasingly complex, Pauline learns the truth is darker than she thought. She wanted me to accept that everything she and Stan told me was true and follow them to a place I'd never seen, from which I might never be able to leave. The CBC podcast Run, Hide, Repeat is based on Dakin's award-winning memoir of her fugitive childhood. In the five-part series, she confronts the family secrets and deceptions that followed her her whole life. She attempts to answer the question, what was our time in witness protection really about? Spoiler alert, we are going to be talking about very significant plot points from all five episodes of Run, Hide, Repeat. So if you want to remain spoiler free, go to the estimated time code in our show notes for our thumbs up or thumbs down reviews. And yes, this is a twisty and turny one. So you might want to remain spoiler free if you do plan on listening and you have not yet listened. So, Kevin, the beginning of this podcast is fairly disorienting, correct? It has a very like suspenseful first person narrative thing mm -hmm. with lots of suspenseful music. And to me, it almost felt like I was listening to like a Tannis situation. It was like things were unfolding and there was like the suspenseful electronica music. And I had no idea what the heck was going on. Did you have any idea what the heck was going on when you started listening to this podcast? Well, kind of. Yeah. I mean, we start off with an interesting opening scene. We learned that there is a secret and that it's about to be revealed and it must be a big deal. And then we sort of slide right into the family backstory, mm -hmm. which fills up most of the first episode. So as far as being disoriented, uh, I don't know. I, I, maybe we're thinking of something else. Here. Uh, not me. Toby, okay. what do you think? Because I think the podcast did an incredible job of really like putting me in the back of my feet for like a while before I sort of had the sense of like, oh, like, because I, I think the storytelling was suspenseful, frankly, for the first like strong couple of episodes. Yeah, I mean, I, I I guess I felt the way you did in that it's just like weird stuff without much context, right? So you're trying to figure out why would they be doing these things and can this possibly be true? And somewhere around the second episode, you start to think, yeah, this is starting to like push on the uh, the bounds of what I consider to be possible. So at some point in there, you, you begin to think, well, maybe this isn't actually like the story that is sort of surrounding this is, isn't actually true, but yeah, I thought it was, you know, my experience of it was that it was trying to figure out what the hell was going on for a good episode and a half. And then you start to suspect that, you know, it's, it's more of a ruse or a fantasy or something. And then you kind of see how that plays out afterwards. I'm curious as to what you thought about that pacing, Laura, because I will say, when we started listening to this podcast, we only had access to the first two episodes. And I was like, I need the rest of these episodes immediately because I've only listened to two and I need to know what the hell is going on here. What did you think? Well, they definitely at the end of the second episode when there was kind of like the reveal in the what was it like Bluebird Motel or whatever it was. I was like, oh, OK. So I wasn't as excited about that reveal as I thought I was going to be. They told me he had connections to organized crime. Stan and Mom called it the O for short. 
They said he was associated with some very dangerous people, and those associations had put my mom, Ted, and me in danger. There was just so many crazy details leading up to that, that, I mean, it was confusing, but that was the point. I mean, because it was confusing to her and her brother when they were children, but, you know, throwing away all the food in the refrigerator, hiking up the mountain in feet and feet of snow. And they say, we can laugh about it now at the time. It was, it was scary. And, you know, listening to it, they reveal it's, you know, oh, the dad is in the big O or whatever, but some of those details really o. more. Yeah. Big Where o. was your head at, Laura Bricker? No, they called it the O. <laughs> the O. They called the big O the, something else. It was in the big O. <laughs> I think it's just our lingo, Kevin. I don't know if that's the world's lingo. Uh, I, it's, I think it's the world's lingo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but it, it sounded, it started to be reminiscent of like, okay, this is somebody that's mentally ill. I don't know if you guys have ever heard that moth radio hour story that's like my favorite one ever the guy's name was like edgar oliver and recounts his child he's got this very bizarre accent he sounds like he's from like transylvania and he and his sister were raised in like complete seclusion in savannah and when he talks about his childhood and you're hearing these same thing they're like running 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 going out in the middle of the night and you're like what the hell is going on here and then in the end it's like oh actually our mother was like seriously mentally ill and that was why we had to do all this stuff. So, I mean, it, it felt a little, it did feel sort of discombobulating in the beginning. I guess that's the way, because I was like, God, this is so frustrating. Like, what the heck is going on? But again, I think that was the point of that setup. But at the same time, Toby, I find myself acutely aware listening to this podcast and I'm listening to a journalist telling the story. So I have questions and I had questions later in the podcast about this. I have questions at the beginning about the trustworthiness of the information because there are things that as she reveals them seem incredible, but also maybe possible, especially given the source of who is telling them to us. Do you know what, do you know what I mean? Uh, I'm not sure, but I'll, I'll do my best. Yeah. Like, like just the incredulity of it and just the credulity of it, given the source of who is telling me the story. And then later I had questions about, wait a minute. Should I have been given that information at that time? That right. kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So that, I think that's kind of the the response that one of Pauline's friends has and maybe like the second to last episode where she says, you know, I kind of trusted you because I knew you and, and, and so I wasn't dismissing it out of hand. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we've talked about this before and I, and I think it's a big, you know, issue that, that people have to kind of confront when they're creating things like this is how much do you hold back information when do you let people know about things? How long are you willing to have people be confused about something that you aren't confused about? And I think that's, it's tricky, right? Cause if you hold back too much, you kind of lose the trust of your audience. If you give it up too early, it loses whatever suspense it has. So, you know, it's sort of a balancing act. And I thought this did a pretty good job of it. I think my, my issues with the podcast don't really have that much to do with at what points they were letting you have information. But I was kind of aware while I was listening to it, especially once you figure out that things are not what they seem, there clearly had to be some decisions made about when are you going to start portioning out what appears to be the reality of the situation. And that for me was something that, that was interesting to listen to and try to get in their heads about how they were thinking about it. 
Yeah, I actually went back and listened to a portion of episode two again because I wanted to make sure I heard what I thought I heard. And what she actually says at one point is that Stan was protecting us. She actually does say that, Mm -hmm. which isn't true. Well, it isn't true. We're in the spoiler. We're in the spoiler part. It isn't true. Well, Um, but that is the perception that she had at the time. Right. And also probably the perception that Stan had. Like if you kind of take what they're, so they're both having the same perception, even though, and and again, it gets complicated. It's like if his intention is to protect them and she feels as though she's being protected, the fact that there's nobody actually out to get them doesn't really change the situation they find themselves in sort of psychologically because they don't know that. Well, we'll talk about whether or not Stan Believes is true. Like, I'd like to talk about that in a bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Kevin, I'd like to ask you about the formatics of this podcast, because we've listened to a bunch of other shows that are sort of like, hey, let's get a load of this story type shows. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In many ways, this is that type of a show. Uh, We have basically a person telling a fantastical tale. What do you think of this type of show telling this type of story and in this podcast in particular, because in the past you have liked those shows. You like the Murphs, Murphs. The Sneak. The Sneak, yeah. You've, you've, you've liked those kinds of yeah. shows before. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I wouldn't drop it squarely in the middle of that subgenre of the get a load of this guy. Um, you know, it does share some of its inspiration with podcasts like Disorganized Crime and Relative Unknown, which are, you know, sort of kids trapped in uh, the the criminal enterprises of their parents, right? And so, like, for me, you have the opening scene, there's going to be a big secret revealed, and based on the title of the podcast, it isn't a surprise that they are on the run and the kids don't know it. Mm-hmm. Like, so none of that was a surprise to me. You know, right away, you're like, okay, well, what is this about? Why are they running? Who are they running from? Where are they going? What is this exciting journey going to be? And I didn't quite get that. Right. Mm-hmm. I just felt like like and I knew, OK, well, this is going to be some situation where they are on the run. So the story about what happened in the basement where we woke up and there was a big commotion, you know, we get an explanation later on what that was. But that explanation is false. Yeah. You know, so it has some interesting things. I, I know. Was there a point about the formatics you thought I was going to bring up? Well, yeah, because this is basically a lot of this is a first person narration. Yeah. Yeah. So it does rely a lot. I mean, this is based on her memoir. Right. So a lot of this does rely on her writing and her narrative style. You know, it does have a couple of interviews like mixed in there. So it's not bad, but sometimes it mistakes like those parenthetical descriptions of what was going on, you know, with moving the action forward. It's a very Canadian style of storytelling, which we've talked about. And I I don't think it it moves it along fast enough. Wow, I actually strongly disagree with you on this point. I actually yeah, I, think... I figure you would. Yeah, I actually... This sounds like one of those, those right, guys, that Rebecca has more to say about it and would actually huh. wish that people were asking her questions. No, no, no. I will say, I really loved the style of this podcast. I typically don't like the first-person narrative, let me tell you what happened to me mm-hmm. shows. I really typically don't. I just thought this one was produced so beautifully. I also, especially, as you know, don't like podcasts that are scored. In the entire time people are talking, but this one was done so well and it has scoring that reminded me a lot of another podcast that was scored almost completely through that was also produced by the CBC was Hunting Warhead. It had a very similar percussive electronica score that I thought made the storytelling and the writing really sing and and work. I just never heard a story like this told me before. I don't know. So, yeah, it, it definitely worked for me on that level. 
So, Kevin, let's just take a quick break from talking about this for a second. Because okay. we do have some business we need to do. Oh, absolutely. We always have business. Yeah. Got to keep this train rolling with yeah. some business. Yeah, what's that going on our Patreon? All right, in our Patreon right now, we have the Crime Writers on After Show. This week, we are going to be talking a little bit about deceptive advertising. Ooh. We're going to be talking about it in Crime of the Week, too, but we've got a whole different story about deceptive advertising and podcasts. All right. You're going to tell us a little bit about that? I won't. See, that's deceptive. (laughs) Uh, What else we got going on, Kevin? What else we got going on? Well, Toby Ball is getting uh, all of his army ready for the next Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club. And so there's homework that must be done. We must read up to be ready for the next episode. Toby, what's the next title? It is uh, The Premonitions Bureau by Sam Knight. And wow, please don't okay. ask me anything about it because okay. I have not started yet. <laughs> it sounds like the kind of title that would be in the City Trilogy, to be completely honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. What was it? It's like the Correction Bureau? Yeah. Well, I think it's about sort of what it sounds like, which is people who have premonitions and what we kind of make of that. This may be sort of fairly distant adjacent to true crime, but it seems super interesting. So here we are. Yeah. Here we are. All right. Well, if you want to listen to that or other podcasts like Leave It to Bricker or Married with Podcast. Well, all you got to do is join us on Patreon. It's patreon.com slash partners in crime media. And you get all the content we have back there. All of it. Oh, yeah. You know, we have more than 320 podcast episodes exclusively behind that paywall. And you get all of that when you all join, right? Yeah. All, you you get go all back. Of it. If you want to listen to what our after show discussion was in April of 2019, I'm you sure can it was do that. Scintillating. It was scintillating. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so Kevin, is thus end the business section? Yeah, thus ends the business section. All right, I'm going to go ahead and fade that music right out so that we can get back to the show. So can we get back to the show now? Of course we can. And Laura, I wanted to ask you something because it was a part of the podcast that made me think about you an awful lot. Okay. Because there's a lot in here about Pauline and her upbringing and secrecy in the family, which is something that you have talked a lot about in your life and your family and a lot of things that happen. And you've talked about it on the show, so I'm not like outing you in any way. Yeah, no, think. no, no, absolutely. Yeah. What do you think of the picture that she paints here in terms of her upbringing and also in her mother's upbringing? That's another layer here that we hear about in the show. Yeah, well, I think to me, it just, it rang very true when she's talking about, number one, her upbringing, giving her the resilience that she needed to survive the chaos, which is something I can really relate to. Kind of reminds me also of that book, The Glass Castle, very similar sort of story, but never telling the family secret as a coping strategy also very too, and keeping on like the happy facade and the happy face. So a lot of times when people are in that situation, people don't even realize it because the children or the wife or whoever are so good at keeping that secret that it appears everything is fine, you know? And so to me, that part rang very true. And I thought bringing in the backstory of Pauline's mother and how she married the father, and she's coming from this somewhat more innocent, small-town background compared to him, and they describe him as being part of, like, the Mad Men years, which was a very good visual, and to me, just brought to light, you know, the liquid lunches and the abuse and everything. And so I think hearing that definitely set up how it was that she was so easily manipulatable. Is that even a word, manipulatable? Yeah, sure. Um, by Stan when she gets with Stan because she's coming from, you know, you just trade one dysfunctional situation for another. So she's coming from the father, Pauline's dad, who's verbally, physically abusive. 
to Stan, who seems like passive and gentle and he's a preacher or whatever, drawing her into his orbit, which is just dysfunctional in a different way because Mm. you have those sort of patterns that you just keep going back to. So I thought that was very interesting. Yeah, but the difference uh, in this one, Laura, is that the secret is also a lie. So you're keeping a secret, (laughs) but you don't you don't even realize that your secret is actually a lie. Right. So you've got a layer on top of a layer, which makes it an interesting story. So, Toby, one of the things that occurred to me was that when Pauline starts receiving all of these letters as an adult, which we later find out are not really written by all these relatives that she has allegedly been separated from by being on the run, by them hiding in this special Tannis safe place that has been created by this government agency to both prosecute and harbor people. So, the letters. June 28th, 1989. Dear Miss P, thank you so much for your letter and the openness with which you tell me of your problems. As you've probably concluded on your own by now, it was Stan, it had to have been Stan, who wrote this letter, and amazingly, all of the other letters that came to me and mom too. This is basically a pre-internet form of catfishing, is it not? All these identities that have been created by one person to communicate with Pauline to bolster a false narrative? Yeah, so this is something I, I, and maybe I missed it in the final episode, but I couldn't quite wrap my head around, was this must have taken a ton of time. And she talks about how he came up with like, different handwriting for each different person and, and made it consistent and all this stuff, you know, and I guess we'll talk about this in a minute, but this idea that he was delusional, which is fine. Like maybe he thinks there's some situation. I don't know how that relates to intentionally writing like literally hundreds of letters from like a dozen different people or whatever, trying to convince somebody that your delusional reality is in fact real. And in such a way that it's just so, I mean, it just gets so bizarre, you know, with people being replaced by actors who have cosmetic surgery. So they'll look more like, you know, your dad It's like, oh, that's not really my dad. It's just an actor. It's just bizarre. So, yeah, I, I mean, I, I kind of and we can talk about the, the issues with the ending and the kind of conclusions. But this just seemed like I couldn't quite figure out, you know, in the end, they try and kind of tie everything up in a nice bow and, and nobody was really malicious. Everybody was just kind of deluded or mentally ill or kind of brought into this sort of group delusion. And this to me seemed difficult to explain that way, yeah. unless yeah. I completely miss something, which is always a possibility. It reminded me a lot of them trying to figure out in Sweet Bobby why the cousin did everything she did and being mm-hmm. like the why, the how, the why. And it, there just like really is no answer. And the answer really is to bolster the lie. And the letters really seem to be the key as to why other people bought Pauline's story. Pauline was able to convince not one, but two men that she had long-term intimate relationships with that this was true. She was able to convince her best friend, not able to convince them because she actually thought it was true. Her best friend, who was an award-winning journalist, believed that this was true. Because they believe her. Right. Because this was a convincing narrative. Like, this guy was good at this. That's all I kept thinking of. Like, this must have been really well done. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Obviously. Pre-catfishing, catfishing. Obviously, if you can keep this going for years. It's it's one thing to fool the kids. Mm -hmm. It's another thing to fool your wife, partner, girlfriend, whatever, whom you are with all the time. Yeah. 
he's not like uh, playing secret agent man 24 hours a day like around the house. Like, I don't think I can clean up the, the kitchen table because I, I might be getting this. It's only like sort of what it uh, comes upon. And Toby, you're, what you said kind of like really making me think because, yeah, I kind of like said to myself after listening to the last episode, yeah, I guess maybe it does make sense that he is having some delusions. But the idea that in furtherance of that delusion, you are lying and that writing a bunch of letters, faking out all these other people sounds less like a delusion and more like an admission that he knows everything is a lie yeah. and needs to do something to perpetuate the lie as opposed to perpetuating a delusion. Yeah. I'm coming to this this review thinking, oh, yeah, well, you know, it is one thing to think that Stan believed partially in what was happening and that it wasn't just an elaborate ruse. But now I'm kind of wondering a little more, is this whole world of I'm we're running from people, is it delusional paranoia or is it just he's a fabulist? I kept thinking, Laura, that if only they hadn't entered the part about the doubles, this might still be going on. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That was like when Pauline started to doubt it. That was when, like, as a listener, I was like, no fucking way. Oh, this is a twist. Okay. That was, I don't know about you, Laura, but that was the moment. I was already doubting it, but that was the moment where I was like, yeah, Yeah. no, there are no doubles. This is not invasion of the double snatchers, right? Well, I mean, that's like segueing into a Toby Ball UFO podcast right there, (laughs) (laughs) you know, but to me, it's just like, you know, talking about him pulling this off and it's like not necessarily like crime. It's like mental illness at its finest here. And I don't mean finest. I mean, like this guy is clearly Stan got something going on that he's weaving this this web around him that he's able to draw not only his wife, but, you know, Pauline's mother and brother and everybody into it. And it's really fascinating when you hear of somebody that is that charismatic that is able to pull that off, you know? Isn't it possible that what he has going on is like an extreme case of like narcissistic personality disorder? What he also has going on is a really good ability to have two marriages at the same time. And this is how he did it. Like yeah, two, I mean, like, good for him. Like two like long-term relationships, and this is how he... Jo- Some people pretend they have a remote job where they have to travel all the time, and this was just a lot more... I mean, it occurred to me that it's like, I don't know about you, Toby, but these people making this podcast and talking about him, Pauline, her brother, you know, all the people they brought in, the experts, they all seem so nice. And I hate to use the stereotypical like Canadian nice, but they're so nice. And they really seem to be looking for a really nice reason to make this okay. Like even like Stan's son, it's like they just want to be okay with it. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I, you know, Pauline is obviously very smart and thought about this a ton and lived it. So I don't know, like if she was on here, she'd be able to kind of explain the whole letter thing, which may just be a sticking point for me. But the best I could come up with for trying to like figure out a way in which he's not sort of actively manipulating people is this sort of idea that the story has got to keep escalating. Right. And so, cause it goes over like years and years and years starting when they're, they're kids. So it's just like, as you keep trying to like move the story along and having more and more peril and coming bigger and bigger, does he get kind of trapped either consciously or subconsciously in this continued escalation. And this is how he has to make it seem real. 
for me, it's hard to be, and maybe there's some psychological thing that I'm not getting, but like, if you honestly believe that there's like some, whatever the hell they call that place where everybody goes and hangs out and it's both the people who know about what's going on and also some of the people who've been convicted for what's going on and they all kind of live in this one place. Are you trying to convey the reality of that by forging letters? Mm. It doesn't make much sense to me. And I don't quite get like what aspect of mental illness would explain that mm. other than he just feels it so strongly. That's the only way he can think of to convince other people is to pretend that he's writing from there. But he's also saying he's going there, which he clearly isn't. So I don't know. It's weird. I think he has more than one disorder or condition. I think that kind of overlapping. I mean, you talk, Rebecca, you talk about narcissistic personality disorder. I'm not diagnosing. So, I'm just questioning. Well, yeah, I mean, <laughs> mm-hmm. but yeah, I mean, how, how does one explain, you know, the world building and the maintenance on that? Yep. Because I think we'd love to just think that Stan was just a victim of his own troubled mind, mm-hmm. but you know, that doesn't explain why he put people through the things that he put them through right. because you know, he knew that the thing in the wallet with the antenna was not a real thing. Right. And so, anywho's, you know, and I think, you know, she proves it when she lays the trap for him. Yes, Mom relayed. Two men had been arrested coming out of my house. Stan's men had found photos in their car that showed I'd been followed for days. And just like that, it was over. Not differently from Sweet Bobby, you can say that he kept... Pauline's mother hostage really her whole life in this Mm -hmm. fake world, right? Like she could have had a whole different, very fulfilling life if she left her abusive husband and went on with her life as it was going. Remember, she left him and then they bought a little house that the kids loved. Imagine if Stan and his wife had moved away and she didn't follow them. Imagine if she had just had her own separate life. Her life could have been completely fulfilling and completely it's different. Like she kind of did have right between Stan, quote unquote, being away that he was actually with but his she other. She could have had a partner. She could have had a that partner. was not lying to her yeah. for her entire life. Right. Yeah. Toby, sometimes I walk into a room and I forget what I was going in there for. And I don't know how a guy could juggle two wives on each coast. <laughs> it sounds like a nightmare. <laughs> it sounds like it. Yeah. Although on Thursday, I guess sound- we'll, we'll, we'll look at the consequences of trying to juggle <laughs> twelve oh or something. Uh, it's true. All right, let's do what we do. Let's let our listeners know, should they check out Run, Hide, Repeat? It's a new podcast from the CBC. Laura Bricker, what do you think? Thumbs up or thumbs down for this show? Yeah, um, this is a thumbs up. I thought this was a really interesting story, you know, hearing directly from Pauline, who is the person that this happened to, was very compelling. There's definitely some red herrings thrown all over the place. I don't think that's too much of a spoiler, which does keep you guessing. And I think it could have been a little bit shorter, but overall, I I thought it was a really interesting story of dysfunctional family dynamics, secrets that families keep, and somebody using their writing and their storytelling to make sense of all of that in a way that allows them to move on with their life. What do you think, Toby Ball? Thumbs up or thumbs down for Run, Hide, Repeat? So, you know, I'm a thumbs up. I've thought the first 75 to 80% of this maybe was really good and compelling. I think it runs into the same issue that a lot of podcasts run into and, and TV shows or whatever, 
is that when it comes to the end and they're trying to pull everything together and kind of give a like grand theory of the case or try to explain sort of what happened beyond just the facts, it, it slows down considerably, brings in some stuff that's kind of germane, kind of not completely. And I actually, I found the explanation that they kind of come up with to be a little bit too rosy to my mind to fit the actual facts as they were kind of laid out. So I found that a little dissatisfying. That being said, everything up until then, like the actual story that she tells, I thought was, was interesting and compelling. So I'll get, I'll give it a thumbs up. And I, I just kind of wish that it, the last, you know, 20% had been in my opinion, stronger. Cause then I think it would have been a super strong podcast. Kevin Flynn. I got to go some sideways on this. I think that the story in of itself is interesting. There's intrigue. There are a couple of big reveals. It's based on a very uh, well-regarded memoir by uh, Pauline. I just feels like sort of the wrapper through which this story is uh, is told. It's not seem exciting. It just doesn't seem like there's a lot of tension to it. There ought to be a lot of more tension in this narrative. For me, it just really didn't work. And But, like, it isn't horrible. And I think that Pauline does tell an interesting tale. And I did think that, like, when she started to dig into her mom and Stan and whatnot, it just kind of proves that this is really a story about family, not so much a story about uh, intrigue. But, you know, for me, I just felt like it just didn't fire on all cylinders. So I'm just going to stick with this sideways. I'm giving this podcast a big thumbs up. I do agree with Toby that the final episode is not strong. And I could have lived almost without it entirely. Uh, I think there are small parts of the final episode that I would have perhaps kept, but not the conclusive tying up stuff. I, I don't think it was actually necessary to delve into that stuff to have those conclusions at all. Everything up to then, unlike Kevin, fired on all cylinders for me. For some reason, this podcast super resonated with me, in large part because of the way it was put together. It's very exciting for me to hear something that I have never heard anything like before. And this is one of those shows. It sounded fresh to me. It sounded new to me. It's unusual to hear one person talking for so long and having it actually be interesting and suspenseful and exciting. And the story is freaking bananas. If you like podcasts that have a story where you're like, what the hell is going on here? There's a very good chance you'll like this podcast. So big thumbs up for me overall for Run, Hide, Repeat. Now it's time for my favorite part of the podcast, a little something I like to call the crime of, crime of the, week. the week. A woman in Florida is suing the company Kraft Heinz for false advertising. She says their microwavable Velveeta shells and cheese is not ready in three and a half minutes like the box says. Amanda Ramirez claims the three and a half minutes claim only accounts for the time in the microwave. It does not include the time required for all the other preparatory steps. Those include removing the lid, adding water, and mixing in cheese sauce. Mm. And she wants $5 million. Sounds about right. Her lawyer argues Kraft sells the product at a premium based on a misleading claim, which costs consumers time and money. This is the same lawyer who has filed more than 400 lawsuits against food and beverage companies, like saying there weren't enough strawberries and strawberry Pop-Tarts, not enough lime juice in Hint of Lime Tostitos, 
or real milk in snack pack chocolate fudge pudding. More than one quarter of his cases go after products that don't disclose their vanilla flavor comes from synthetic vanilla. Kraft calls the suit, quote, frivolous and is asking for a dismissal. Panel, let's solve this in three and a half minutes. <laughs> what other product needs to have more honesty in its marketing? Laura Bricker, what do you think? Um, pretty much anything that I try to make from Pinterest that's going to be some sort of a cute <laughs> appetizer basically never looks or comes out like it's supposed to. So I think they need a warning. All right. So you're going to sue Pinterest for $5 million, mm. it sounds yeah, like. Pinterest, yeah, they get plenty of cash, Pinterest. I've had many Pinterest fails. <laughs> Tell me about what do you think? What other product needs to have more honesty in its marketing? See, I, I don't know what the statute of limitations on something like this is because I read this and the only thing I could think of was uh, the old ad for Schaefer is the one beer to have when you're having more than one. Because yeah. I... I had like three younglings the other day and that seemed to work out fine. So that seems like a clearly <laughs> misleading advertising. <laughs> what do you think, Kevin? Well, Red Bull clearly doesn't give you wings. <laughs> That's true. That sounds like a $5 million lawsuit I, right there. Yeah, I think I got to get a hold of this guy. All right, Laura, folks want to reach out to you on social media to help give you tips maybe on how to improve your Pinterest replication skills. How can they find you there? They can find me at Laura Bricker. And Toy Ball, what about you? How can you be found? At Toy Ball NH or on Mastodon, which I haven't gone on in like three weeks since I set it up. Uh, I think it's at Toy Ball NH at MSTDN dot social. Perfect. How about you, Kevin? I'm at twitter.com slash Kevin P. Flynn. Do you need a www before the Twitter? Oh, people know that part. HTTPS. www.twitter.com slash Kevin P. Flynn. Backslash. You say backslash. Is it a backslash or a forward slash? It's important though, right? And if you want to follow me on Twitter or Instagram, you can find me at Reb Lavoy. I'm setting up panels other places, but I'm doubtful that I'll ever use them. You can also follow the show on Twitter at Crime Writers On, and I encourage you to join our incredible community in our official Crime Writers On Facebook discussion group. We also have a regular old Facebook page. Just go there, hit join the group. We'll probably let you in if you seem nice. Support the show at patreon.com slash partners in crime media. You'll get the Crime Writers on After Show, Married with Podcast, Laura Bricker's Leave It to Bricker Podcast, and Toby Ball's Deep Dive Book Club Podcasts. Our theme song was composed and performed by Ty Gibbons. Our line editor is the wonderful Olivia Burdett. The executive producer of this fine program is Kevin P. Flynn. This show was recorded in the Yoga Loft above the Bodega in Bay St. Louis, Mississippi studio, otherwise known as Studio C, the closet in our New Hampshire basement, where we have tiny transistor radios in our wallets that let us call for help when the bad guys are coming for us. I can see them! On behalf of help! all the crime writers, thanks so Laura, much for listening. We will catch you later. <laughs> later. She attempts to answer the question, what was our time in witness protection really about? Really about I, I think the way I said it was, was it fine. really about? No. I think I was, I was okay with the way I said it, okay. personally. What was our time in witness protection really about? Okay? It's a boot. That's yeah. the way you're supposed to pronounce yeah, exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. A boot. Really a boot. <laughs> Partners in, in Crime, crime Media. media.